tell you, this is one reason I have loved being involved in college ministry my whole life, is meeting people from all around the world, those that love Jesus and those that don't know Jesus, and have a chance to interact with them and, uh, and just learn from, uh, from their experiences and their cultures. I actually married, my wife is from Sri Lanka, I know some of you know that. She would have loved this this morning if she could have been here. She would have absolutely uh, loved it, but I met her, uh, and um, I was pastoring up in Bowling Green, and she was just graduating, and uh, I fell in love with this wonderful woman from halfway around the world, and, uh, and I can remember the first five years of our marriage just really, like, my worldview being challenged so much by her, and uh, um, so I think I've learned not challenged as much over the last 25 years as those first five years. So hopefully I learned instead of tuned out, right? And, uh, and just learned from her upbringing, her perspective on things. And so thank you again for the worship. That was beautiful. Look forward to more at the end when we uh, celebrate communion together. Um, so anyway, it's good to be here. I haven't, don't come over as much as I um, used to. Hopefully in the future, we'll try to increase that a little bit, but it's really great to see a lot of faces uh, that I've uh, gotten to know over the years here. All right, we're going to dive right in. Josh prayed so we don't have to pray again. Um, maybe we should, but we're not going to. We're just going to jump right in. You guys are in Acts 24, right? So I'm kind of going to touch on Acts 24 because Josh said I needed to, but we're actually going to look at Two verses in Acts 20 and Acts 23, but I kind of want to set the stage. There's really, in the last nine chapters in the book of Acts, there's two verses that kind of set the stage. And the first one is in Acts 20, and uh, Paul is talking to the elders in Ephesus, and he's saying, this is the last time you're going to see me because the Holy Spirit is drawing me irresistibly. And I'm going to read these verses here in a little bit. The Holy Spirit is drawing me irresistibly to Jerusalem. And he goes, and all I know is it's going to be tough. So that's the first verse. So from Acts 20, 21, 22, 23, that's put into motion and we see Paul's travels towards Jerusalem and what happens when he gets there. And then in 2311, uh, God actually comes to Paul and says, and now you're going to go to Rome and you're going to testify to me in Rome also. So these two verses set up those last nine chapters. So from 24, we see Paul is in Jerusalem. Some bad things happen there. And then uh, they actually move him up to Caesarea. And chapter 24 ends with Paul still in prison after two years. Because the one governor, I think it was whatever his name is, Festy or whatever. And then a new one, Festus, is coming in and... So the old one just leaves him in prison, and he's there for uh, two years, and then it's going to pick up in chapter 25. So does that summarize chapter 24 pretty good? You guys are going to read it. All, you know, and I shouldn't say all of it. There, there's, it's so rich. There's so much you could dive into. But it's just walking through you know, what Paul's experiences are as he is going to be traveling on to Rome. But I want to go back to uh, in Acts 20. Verses 22 and 24, this is again where he's talking to the elders in Ephesus, and he says, And now I am going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me that jail and suffering 
lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I do it, unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. And this is the same thing that we've been tasked with, right? The work of telling others we are no different than Paul. It's not like he's a special apostle and you're going to go do this, but every Christian is tasked with this wonderful opportunity and privilege of being able to share Jesus Christ, his love, his wonderful kindness, his forgiveness to, to others that don't know him. And so we have the same job as Paul. And so this puts into motion Paul going to, to Jerusalem, and that's where the suffering begins. He goes into the temple, he's, worship, he's worshiping there, he's recognized by other Jews that know that he was out preaching to the Gentiles, which to a, a Jew, especially a religious Jew back at that time, to think that the Gentiles are part of, of that God would want anything to do with them, to them was absolutely like, no, that is blasphemy. And so they took Paul, and uh, they dragged him out of the temple, and they began beating him, and they probably would have killed him, except Roman soldiers came and broke it up. It was a very chaotic scene. And the, the Jews were absolutely in a frenzy, and they wanted to kill him right then. So then in Acts 23 begins with Paul now standing before the Jewish council, all, all the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jewish council. And he kind of uh, it becomes a uh, chaotic scene again because Paul just says a few things that he knew would kind of pit the Pharisees against the Sadducees. Because the Pharisees believed in an afterlife, the resurrection of the good and the wicked, and the Sadducees did not believe in a, in a resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. So that way you remember that. Anyone get that? A few. Okay, very good. See a few people like, oh my goodness. So we see him standing before the council. He says, I'm on trial for the resurrection of the living and the dead. And so that throws those two groups against each other. And, uh, and again, the Roman soldiers had to come and intercede. Um, or else they would have, Scripture says, they would have torn Paul to pieces. So, and then that brings us to Acts 23, verse 11. But on the following night, the Lord stood near him and said, Be courageous, for as you have testified to the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify in Rome also. So this begins to put him on that journey towards Rome. But if you know Paul's life up to this point, for, for the Lord to stand before him and say, Be courageous, you know, at this point you think, oh my goodness, what is Paul going to go through in the future? Because we already know the beatings and the imprisonments and the, the near starvation and all the other things he went through up to this point. And now the Lord is standing with him again and saying, be courageous. We can only imagine, like, man, what does the future hold? I'm sure he's thinking, how worse could it be? But two things stand out to me in this in this verse here, is that God has a mission for Paul, and in order to complete it, he will need courage. God has a mission for him, and to complete it, he's going to need courage. And isn't that true for us today? God has a mission for us. In order to complete it, we're going to need courage in order to complete his will for our lives. I love 
the, the, the uh, group of churches called Acts 29. There's 28 chapters in Acts. And I love that name, Acts 29, because the name of the association of churches in itself says, and it's saying, right, that the book of Acts, it's still being written. It's being written by me and you. And it's been written over the last 2,000 years of people that have come before us, and it will keep being written by those who come after us until the Lord Jesus returns. And if we don't keep writing it, who knows, maybe future generations won't be writing it anymore because they may not know the Lord. But fortunately for us, for the last 2,000 plus years, the book of Acts, as now we're up to chapter who knows what, right? Whatever our chapter is. But his followers still have been on mission and they've taken it to heart that in order to do that, we need courage. We need courage in order to keep following the Lord. So our tendency as humans, right, is to take this expansive story, this amazing, glorious story, this dangerous story, to tell others, and our part in it, and we re reduce it to a manageable size. We reduce it to something where we can stay in our comfort zone, where we don't have to step out and necessarily do things that make us uncomfortable or that make me fearful. Oh, God, you wouldn't want me to do that, right? You, you don't want me to go through hardship, suffering, and pain. So we avoid those situations, allowing our fears to get the best of us. But, you know, here's the thing. God knows that following him will bring us face-to-face, face-to-face with our present fears and our future fears to come. He knows that it's not going to be easy. And that's why... He, and, and how tragic it would be if fear keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, right? We may miss out on a lot of this mission that, that He has us on, a lot of the blessing of seeing Him use us, of seeing Him writing our chapter in the book of Acts, and all the things that God would want to do in and through us, our lives. You personally, and also the generation collectively, right? But just knowing that God wants us to face our fears. I don't know about you, but that motivates me. That he's, he's telling me, the, you're on mission, it's going to take courage. That motivates me. I just imagine God looking down and saying, and, and seeing his, his son or daughter, who trembling maybe in their, in their shoes, are going to walk out and do something that they're absolutely scared to death to do. They're going to do it because they're going to stay on mission for God. And I can just imagine God just looking down and, and, and just being right there. And that's what he says. He says, and, 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 and that's what he tells us repeatedly. In fact, the most repeated command or exhortation in the Bible is do not fear. Be courageous. That is the most repeated exhortation slash command in the Word of God. Do not fear. He has said it to nearly every leader that he used, Moses, Daniel, you know, on and on, even Jesus. Think of the, the uh, garden where Jesus was praying. You know, I mean, the fear involved there. It takes courage to follow God. It is not, you know, anyways, I could go down a rabbit trail, not going to. Do not fear. Be courageous. 
And of course, God isn't saying this because there's nothing to fear. Or to serve Him means that we can't have fear. Courage is doing what is right in spite of our fear. So God will, and, and, and I'm sure for many of you, you already have done many fearful things that you that even now you're thinking, yes, I thought I would never do that, but oh my goodness, God has helped me and strengthened me. And you know the promise that nearly, fought, that, that nearly always follows this command exhortation in the Bible, right? The promise that follows it. Do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. I am greater than all your fears. Do not let them stop you. We will be the ones that will miss out. Look at Isaiah 41, verse 10. Well, don't look at it. It's not up there. I'll just read it. Do not fear. This is one of my life verses. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is God not greater than our greatest fear? Cannot God help you overcome whatever it is you fear? He is greater than our greatest fear. Looking back, I am so thankful for my fears that I've had in life that seem kind of so small and puny in many respects compared to what's gone on throughout history in the world, right? I have never feared for my life. I have never been in prison. I have never been beaten. I've never been whipped close to the point of death, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. But we all still have these fears that to us can be overwhelming and can keep us and hold us back from really following after God. So as I look back, I'm just, I, I feel so blessed by so many fears and insecurities that I've had because it showed me my weakness. And what does God say? That when you're weak, then you're strong. And, and we really need to understand that so we won't view our fears as something that may hold us back and keep us from it, but that could be the very thing that propels you into a fruitful life of ministry of seeing really so much happen through you, in you, and all around you. Because what it's going to do, hopefully, is drive you to God. Because it's overwhelming to you, whatever that fear is. It will drive you to God. He will help you. You will grow in faith. And you'll go on to do even more bold, courageous things for Him. And you won't allow fear to cause you to step back and, and be on the sidelines. So be thankful for the fears. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in you. So your fears is one of your greatest friends. It's going to be the thing that's going to propel you forward into really advancing the kingdom and being blessed and being blessed in that respect of advancing his kingdom, because again, it's going to drive you to God. Hopefully, it will drive you to God. So my insecurities, again, have been many in my life, and they tended to get worse as, as I grew older. I remember my first year of college, 
was so different than like seventh grade. I remember I did a report on wolves and the reintroduction of wolves. And I was so excited to give this in the seventh grade, I couldn't wait to get up there and share my, my findings with everyone. Like, we need to reestablish wolves in the West. And, I, and, you know, I was so passionate about it. Fast forward to five, six, seven years later, my first year of college, I'm sitting in an English class, and my insecurities just in increased over the years. Not going to get into all the details. I have a certain understanding now why. I got called on in an English class my freshman year of college. My face grew beet red, I know it, because it felt like it was on fire, and my throat just clenched shut, and I could barely croak out a few words. And I can remember there's a lot of pretty girls all around me, and there was one sitting right to my right over there, and I, I just finished like croaking out this, this, this couple words, and uh, and I just drop my head, and I see her just looking at me, and I see her just shaking her head, <laughs> you know, like that. And I just, I just got my head down. I see, and I go, yes, I know, I'm such a loser, you know, like I can't even speak up in a classroom. What is going on with me? So I did the only logical thing. I quit college. I wasn't going to go through that. I'm not going to face my fears like that. Then I found the Lord. About a year after that, I came to know Christ. And man, that helped. That really helped my, my confidence and just, you know, beginning to see my value as a human being. But then about a year later, I went and got in, uh, went back to college and uh, faced my fears, right? And got involved in a church. Then they want me to, like, lead a Bible study. Man, my fears came back. I can remember the first one, I thought, okay, I can do this, I can do this. It was a total disaster. Like, again, my face was on fire, I'm sure. Probably could see the flames coming up. My mind, like, you know, you get nervous like that, what happens to your mind? And you cannot think. And, like, I could barely talk and lead this Bible study. It was humiliating. And I wanted to go to the leaders and just say, I'm sorry, I cannot do this. This is not for me. But I didn't. I thought, okay, I'm going to pray. God, will you help me in lead, leading this Bible study? And I literally spent hours praying. God, help me, help me, help me. Lead this Bible study, worshiping, praying, seeking him. You know what happened in the next Bible study? It went great. I couldn't believe it. I was so relaxed. I was so calm. It was awesome. So the next Bible study, I thought, I got this. Yeah, I can do this. You know what happened? The third Bible study? Whew, flames, you know, mind. It was horrible. And this kind of went on for a little while. It was like the book of Judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges, if you know what happens there, the nation of Israel. And I can remember the first time I read Judges, I'm like, that's me. That's like my life. I'm so proud. I'm so arrogant. Like, I, you know, I get a little help from God, and now I, I take that all like that's me. And oh, now I can do it. And then I have to like be humbled again, and then I'll come back to God. Of course, mine wasn't so much sin like they did, you know, where they sinned, affliction, repent, God restores them, oh, now we're good, then they repeated that pattern. That was kind of my life with my insecurities, kind of still is to this day in some respects. 
but God was helping me. I resented at times having to spend so much time, so much time just to sit and lead a Bible study. Why, God? And I'd see, I'd see my friends and, and some, some, some others come up and like, oh, I can't wait to do that. And they would do it, and they would do it awesome, and this and that, and they just couldn't wait to be in that leadership. And I'm like, man, God, why can I just not be a leader? And can I just, you know, share who you are to people? And, uh, but it drew me into God. It forced me into God. And as I look back now after, you know, how old am I? You know, 40 plus years of ministry, it becomes clearer and clearer to me that fruit comes from the Father. It comes from seeking Him. It comes from prayer. It comes from counting on Him. Paul came close to the point of death. You know why? In order that he would not trust in himself. When we trust in ourselves, when we're not abiding in the vine, what happens? The vine dies. We don't have life in and of ourselves to impart to other people. Now, you may... You could be far from Christ, and you just point them the word, and they read and share it. It's powerful. You know, the, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, right? But the more you abide and you go to God and you seek him, hopefully you'll look back. As I look back over my life, and I'm like, God, it's, it's been you. Look at what you have done. It's not how smart I am, how well I can speak, how much, you know, this or that. It's, it's you, God. You are the only one that can bear fruit in and through us. I can't change a human heart. I can't, you know, help other believers draw closer to God. Only as the Holy Spirit uses me. So I took a speech class. After about a year or so, I thought, I think God wants me to be a pastor. Okay, that means I may have to get up and do this. So I thought, well, I should take a speech class then. I'm just going to go straight towards these fears. Man, the first one, it was in the uh, university hall in uh, Ohio State's campus. It was in the basement. I felt my first speech, as walking there, the closer I got, my legs went you know, from 50 pounds each to 100 pounds to 200 pounds each. By the time I'm walking down these steps and I could barely move, I just felt like, ah, and I was descending into hell. I can remember thinking, a pack of wolves. I would rather face a pack of wolves right now than have to go down and give this speech. But you know what? I got up and I did it. And I, I thought I was nervous. I thought my whole body was shaking. I remember sitting back down and the guy next to me said, that was, that was good. You did really good. And I go, no. Awesome. He goes, no, you didn't look nervous at all. And I thought, oh. And then the next speech went better and the next speech. And I thought, just feeling God's help and overcoming these deep-seated insecurities. Then I started speaking on Sundays as a pastor. Um, just think, leading a Bible study repeated. <laughs> that was my life. You know, it, man, when I spent a lot of time with God and prayed, it would go great. When I didn't, sometimes it would go really horrible. And I can remember praying once, God, do not allow me to ever get up in front of your people and share your word unless I have really committed it to you in prayer and come to you. Because I know in and of myself, maybe it can come off well, but will it have any kind of effect? Will it really 
touch a heart and change a heart. And I have regretted that prayer at times because God has honored that prayer. And he's really let me know it when I have it. Because sometimes I'll be up there and I'm like, I feel like I call it hollow man. Where I'm just hollow words are coming out. And I felt that at times. At times from the pulpit, I've confessed that too. And people tend to remember those teachings more so than many others. I remember the first teaching I did for something we call leadership training. And uh, um, so from all around the country and the world, students would come and we'd have like a 10-week training thing. Now it's in Colorado, we have one there. Uh, The first time I taught at LT, it was in Myrtle Beach. So we're in this big Baptist church. There's like 400 students from all around the world. My insecurities came flooding so forcefully back. I was having an all-out panic attack. I was like a wild animal. I am thinking of every single way I could get out of this. I am just in the basement, then I'm outside, I'm praying like a madman, I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this? One point, I, was, I was, uh, had concluded I'm going to make myself throw up in front of a few people, and I'll look really bad, I'll just say, guys, I am so sorry, but I just can't do this, and I'm going to get out of there. So eventually I find myself on the front porch with the huge pillars, you know, this big old church. And, and this, I, I'm just in complete panic, and I'm praying, and God just came to me. And, and, and some of those moments where it's just the undeniable voice of God that just cuts through everything. And you know what he said to me? He said, rebuke the enemy. Rebuke the devil. And that's what I did, passionately. <laughs> I was like... And I knew that was God that just spoke that to me, and I said, yes! I said, I said, Satan, I rebuke you. You have no place in me. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was about all that I had time for, because then someone opened the door and said, Daryl, you're up! And I went, and I walked from the back of the church all the way up to the stage, got up there, turned around, and looked out. And I have never felt more comfortable in my life ever. I was just so blown away. I should have told them what was happening, like I did at other times when I'm like, sorry guys, hollow man's up here. But I was just so blown away, I couldn't believe it. Like I have never been more comfortable ever. Sitting, if I were to sit down in my living room right now with my wife, and we're watching a a nice, you know, just, just cozying up and watching a movie for the evening, I was way more comfortable than that on this stage. Do not fear, for I am with you. So not only did I get to experience and have gotten to experience God overcome my fears and insecurities so many, many times, but it also, again, forced me into God where I developed a close, intimate relationship with Him. Where I, I go through, and I can still talk with people, and I remember talking with people back then. What is God teaching? What is He speaking to you on? What's, what's been happening? And sometimes I'd get a little frustrated. I'd be like, is that it? Is that, is, that, is that your experience with God? The only reason I've had the experience I have with God is because of my fears. I can guarantee you, if I was that confident, I got it all together guy, I would not know God near as much as I do today. 
I can guarantee you I would not have seen near as much happen as I have been blessed to see that God, what God has done in and through me and around me over the years without my fears and my weakness. So latch on to those. If you don't have any and you think you're God's gift to the people around you, then what other trouble? What, what, what's going to be your thing that's going to drive you to God? Because very few of us are driven to God when the world is all together for us and everything's going good. I always look at the life of David. You guys know his life, right? What, what, when he was fleeing for his life and all kinds of affliction going on, he was so on fire for God and God was so real, so intimate. And then what happened when he lived in the palace? Right? One look. Adultery. Whole family and everything. Everything was going great. Now everything's horrible. So what happened? Could we say that it was Bathsheba and all that? He went to the palace. Life of ease, comfort. His probably his his sense of needing God, wanting God, seeking after God. I'm sure that cooled some. His heart started being pulled away from God so much that that then he was susceptible to that. He was susceptible to adultery and then murdering her husband and those kind of things. The way we live today, we all live in palaces. We probably live an easier life than David did. How much has our heart been pulled away? How much do we press into God? What's it going to take for us to press into God, to truly know Him, to truly be used by Him in a powerful way? I, I, love, I love Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. It says, and I've personalized this. It says, but as for you, Israel, my servant, I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. I love that. And so I personalize it. But as for you, Daryl, my servant, I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. I know he's chosen me. John 15, verse 16, right? I've, you did not choose me. I, Jesus says, you know, you did not choose me, but I chose you. So, but as for you, Daryl, my servant, I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. And then it goes on. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do, don't, do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. We worship a great, awesome, mighty God. You do not need to fear your fears, right? You need to face them and walk into them. If, you, if there's something that you know God wants you to do, do it. Just walk right into it. Watch his mighty hand uplift you, uphold you, strengthen you, and help you to just bust right through that. And maybe pray it never goes away. Maybe pray it sticks with you for a lifetime, keep you on track. Psalm 119 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. In a lot of ways, as human beings, we need affliction. It's sad. I wish it wasn't true, but kind of believe the Word of God in that. So what fear might God want you to face? I don't know. Let a friend know you're a Christian. Be more open and public about your relationship with Christ. Share the gospel with a family member, a friend, a stranger. Read your Bible in public. Ask someone if you could pray for them. 
man, Josh and Carrie are such good examples of this. I fear that. I don't want to do that. I'm sitting there having a meal. I don't want to ask, you know, stewards, hey, can I pray for you? A little uncomfortable. They, I just love it. They do it all the time, and it's so great to see the fruit that comes from that and see how God uses it. What are the fears? Be open about your struggles hey, with someone, your, your own fears. Who likes to talk about your fears, your sin? Tell someone that you love them, that you forgive them. Seek forgiveness from someone, you know, that, that uh, you've wronged. Uh, is it lead a Bible study? You know, be praying and, and, and thinking, asking God. And, and whatever it is, may it drive you towards Him. Believing Him that He will help you. He will help you no matter what it is to, to overcome. And God will use that in a mighty mighty way. So let me go ahead and pray. I know we're going to come up and worship some more. So you guys feel come up as I'm praying here. And uh, let's go ahead and, and praise God and worship. Lord, thank you that you've told us so clearly that you are with us. And I thank you for all the collective fears in this room. When I think, Lord, of all the things that we're afraid of, God, how you want to use that help each one of us get to know you more deeply, to press into you, to spend time with you, to take an hour or so, you know, or a half an hour a day, to take those maybe weekends away with you, to really seek you desperately, wanting you to fill us and come and, 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 and just, uh, Lord, show us your glory and your power and who you are. And I thank you, Lord, that you've done that generation after generation. We know you're going to keep doing it. Keep writing the book of Acts until the day you return. May this generation, Lord, see you move in just an awesome, marvelous, powerful way is my prayer. I'm, I'm getting ready to move on. I, you know, I'm not quite in the grave yet. I got half a foot in it. But this generation, they've, they've got rest of their lives. Lord, to see you do just amazing, wonderful things. May their fear not keep them from it, but drive them further and further to the realization of that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, now, now you guys can come up, right? We're going to worship a few more songs, and then we're going to take communion together. And so during, we're going to do at least two songs. So anytime during these songs, as you're praising and worshiping God, uh, feel free um, to go back there, take the bread and the cup, and, uh, and just give thanks. We do this in remembrance of what the Lord Jesus did for us, and that his body was broken, his blood was spilled out. He took the punishment of death upon himself so that we might live. Amen? If you're not sure what it's all about, you don't feel comfortable, don't worry about it. Totally.